Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 65. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show Eric Draper. He served as President Bush's chief photographer the entire eight years of George W. Bush's presidency. He photographed him daily in all his activities at the office, abroad, and in his personal life. And Draper was named special assistant to the president and is the first White House photographer to be named a commissioned officer to a U.S. president. Also during his tenure, Draper directed the photographic and archival conversion of the White House photo office from film to digital and took nearly one million photos documenting George W. Bush's presidency. He's the author of a great new book, Front Row Seat, a photographic portrait of the presidency of George W. Bush. And prior to joining the White House, Draper was an AP photographer, and in those eight years, he covered an array of domestic international news, sports, presidential campaigns, natural disasters, you name it. If he was there in a major event, he took a, a picture of it, it seemed like. Eric, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's an honor to be here. Well, guys, you Thanks know, for inviting me. you bet. You know, I, interesting fact, I, I didn't realize that you were the first um photographer that served two presidential terms. I guess that that never happened before prior to you? No, uh, it never had. Um, and it, it took a while for me to realize it, um, you know, through through the years and towards uh, the end of uh, the second term. And I started to investigate, uh, and I realized that, that I was the, the longest-serving chief White House photographer. And um, it's one of those things that uh, I, I understand why... Uh, no one's ever done it because <laughs> yeah. it's really hard. It's very hard um, to do uh, just in terms of the commitment and uh, physically as well. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a grueling job, um, especially towards the end. I can imagine. I mean, tell me a little bit before we do we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of it. I got a lot of kind of geeky questions of behind the scenes, but how did you how did you get the job? I, I, tell me the story about how you actually landed the gig. Well, back. Back in uh, 2000, uh, I, had, I was a staff photographer with the Associated Press, um, and it was actually 1999 when the AP, uh, they were handing out assignments to cover the 2000 presidential campaign and on the phone to figure out if I was going to be a part of it, and I get the call, and uh, they tell me that I'm covering uh, Governor Bush from Texas, and so that's what it, how it all started, and then... And, it really wasn't a plan for me to uh, to pursue the White House photography position. 
until after the election. Um, so I covered uh, probably 18 months on the campaign trail covering um, uh, Governor Bush. And you might remember the election in 2000 was not decided that evening. Right. And it, that, that's really why how I ended up in the White House, because um, that during the recount, the Florida recount, while all the chads were being counted in Florida, I uh, pretty much dropped off the map and was recovering from uh, covering the campaign back in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I started to uh, inquire about who was picked. I was very curious, but still not really thinking that I would really want the job. But the more I investigated, the more I learned that I had a shot at uh, actually landing this job. Mm. Or at least, or at least uh, you know, I, I, would, I would have been in the running. So, so, uh, and they say that timing is everything. So I discovered uh, just by accident that I was just invited to a Christmas party in Austin, Texas. And Governor Bush had just become President-elect Bush. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, this is where I'm going to make my, I can make my personal pitch for the job. So I came prepared. I had a portfolio. I had a cover letter. The staff knew that I was pursuing this position, but I knew I had to make that personal pitch to um, to President Elect Bush. And so, at the end of the party, my my wife was there, coaching me on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. I walked up to him and I said, uh, "Thank you for inviting us to the party. By the way, I want to be your personal photographer." <laughs> That's great. And that was the longest handshake in the world. <laughs> um, and he looked at me, and he said, um, he, looked, he looked like he never really thought about the photographer, and he had a lot of things on his mind. And he said, I really appreciate that. I'll get back to you. Well, a week later, I got a call from the chief of staff's office for an interview back in Austin, and it all happened very quickly after that time. Uh, this, this was late December in 2000, and it, uh, you know, it changed my life. Yeah, I can imagine. That, that's great. I mean, just one little moment. Was it kind of spontaneous? I mean, had you planned on saying those words, or did it just kind of strike you as you're, as you were at the party? Well, you know, um, I knew a personal pitch would, would work. Right. Um, President Bush is very direct, very personable. Um, but then I also thought uh, I'd try to take a page out of his political playbook, because during the campaign of 2000, he would always say, I'm going to look you in the eye and ask you for the job. I want to be your president. And so that's what I did. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. That's great how you got there. So tell me a little behind the scenes. I'm just fascinated. Like you said, it, it, I, the hours just had to be crazy intense. What was a typical day like? I mean, how, how long did it usually last for you? Well, um, there was really no typical day. Um, uh, the best part for me was the fact that I did have support. Um, I had backup photographers to help cover the president's schedule, which really was uh, 24-7. I mean, um, I would all try to do most of it, but the responsibility of my job of being the chief photographer was to make sure that his entire schedule was covered. But also, you know, the first lady had uh, needed her schedule covered. The vice president had his own photographer, and so that... So all those responsibilities were under my shop. Wow! Uh, and it was it was a lot of uh, you know a lot of work. You know my my life was the president's schedule. Wow! So was it com- almost completely unfettered access? I mean, there had to be some some spots where you, you you couldn't take photos, correct? I mean, but or was it pretty much unlimited? 
pretty much unlimited. Um, you know, I, I find myself having almost too much access in, in some ways just because um, I really wanted to to kind of uh, uh, gauge my uh, my presence in a way, um, knowing that you know, that you know I did have all this access. I, I really wanted to be responsible and not uh, not really cause any distraction. And that was the, the most important part of my job was not to be a distraction. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, uh, I was serving the president. He called the shots. And so everything was about the comfort level of the president. You know, he, my, my presence at any event, at any meeting, in any situation was, was really up to him. Uh, and through time, we really developed a really good relationship. Uh, in some ways, a, a lot of nonverbal cues. Right. Uh, you know, through eight years, I was able to really study him and almost just know what he's, not know what he's thinking, but know his moods just from the, the tone of his voice. From the micro expressions on his face, I would kind of know what kind of mood he was in. Know if it was a really serious situation or a situation that that maybe was so sensitive that I shouldn't be in. And and of course, the best part was President Bush was very direct, mm-hmm. so he would definitely tell me. You know, there was no question if I needed to be there or not. Right. Uh, you know, it kind of ties into. I was like, how do how do you? I, like you said, you kind of answered that. It kind of evolved over time, but how do you stay invisible, especially in the beginning? Like, how do you know what the comfort levels are? I mean, how do you just kind of stay in the backgrounds and not have anybody notice you? It's almost like you'd be an elephant in the room, you know? Well, you know, it's 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 not exactly disappearing because, I mean, I'm sort of a large guy, so I can't really disappear. Right. But um, but I think that just the comfort level and knowing that, that I was always there for, for a purpose and and you know, I had the only position in the White House where I, where I was not a participant in these meetings. Right. I was, I was the person. Um, um, my access was all about being the trained observer and documenting. So, um, so that was a huge part of it. And, and President Bush really respected my role, and he trusted my my presence. And and it definitely developed over time. Uh, you know, I I, I tried to work work the situations where I wasn't always in his face with the camera and I would pick and choose my moments and, and by doing that I would always follow what was happening in the room you know, knowing when when to pick and choose moments you know, trying to predict when um, a historic moment would happen sometimes you don't know when it's going to happen and I just had to be there and, and record things and find out later but, uh, but it, was all, it was all about just being there and being available yeah you know, you were touching on the relationship and how it evolved over those eight years. Tell me a little bit about, you know, I know you covered him for a couple of years on the campaign trail, so you got you got to know him. So you probably, before you got the job, you, you thought you really knew him or you had a, a pretty good preconceived notion of who he was. Tell me a little bit about that preconceived notion and how it changed eight years later. Well, uh, I knew him as a, um, a journalist, uh, covering him, you know, as part of the media and that was only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I really didn't know him until I worked for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was pleasantly surprised at what I discovered to work for um, a, a man like him. And he, uh, one of the things I discovered was, was uh, you know, his family life, his, his faith, his, his friends, and, and how he operates his, his, uh, his schedule. Uh, the fact that he's so disciplined with... Uh, a simple thing like exercise, for example, that 
you know, it was very important to, very important to him. Uh, and he was also very demanding of his staff. Uh, you know, a simple thing like staying on schedule. Um, he always felt that being late to meetings, keeping people waiting was rude. And he kept the staff, um, uh, really on their toes. Uh, simple things like that that you discover by working for him. And then his, just his personality in, in general, uh, for me as a photographer, he was such a personable person. He was a people person. Mm-hmm. And he would literally gain energy through contact with people. I mean, I would see him after long days, you know, 12, 13 hours. Um, and then another person would enter the Oval Office and he would be energized through, through that meeting, through that conversation, through that interaction and connection. And it was really just a joy to photograph because of that. That, that gift that he had with connecting with people. And I saw it for eight years. I mean, he would treat, he would connect um, on a personal level um, from from a janitor in the hallway to the king of Saudi Arabia. It was really, truly a joy to photograph for eight years. Wow. That's fun. That's neat to hear that. You know, I always wonder, um, you know, especially looking at the, the I, I, and it's hard to, for people to see, I encourage people to go see the uh, photographs in this book. I mean, it, it's almost like there's there's two parts to that book. You see kind of – how do I even describe this? It's almost like you see a normal man um, – you get a sense of kind of the normalcy of him and you see him kind of rising to to greatness. And then at the same time, you also kind of see this great office and someone kind of being a simple man. Does that make sense? It's like you see two sides of a coin. If, I don't know how to articulate that. Does it make sense what I'm trying to say? It's almost like you see a normal man becoming, you know, living up to the greatness of the office and you see this preconceived notion of the of, of the office and, and someone being a nice, just simple, normal, ordinary guy. There's like two sides of the coin. Well, yeah, yeah, and I had that privilege to, to witness that, you know, that, that entire uh, story of, of a person, you know, doing the hardest job in the world, uh, but also, um, you know, respecting that office. Because uh, the, the president never, really never took himself too seriously. He, he took the office of the presidency very seriously. And so, and you see that in his, in his personal life, uh, but also in, you know, his life as commander-in-chief, as, as president. Um, and uh, it's really, you know, very fascinating to to have, you know, that much access to one story. Yeah. yeah. You know, huge section of the book, obviously, 9-11 and the kind of the war years, I guess, in, in the book. And, and you were there during that day in, at the elementary school and kind of as it unfolded. I'm curious, I mean, some great picks that I've never even seen before, you know, kind of captures the moment as he's, uh, you know, the images are on the TV. I think some of the most interesting photographs for me are the one where he's um it looks like he's in a classroom and then you know the the standard elementary school tv is going in the background and he's writing and on the phone and the images of the smoking towers are in the background it, it's it was an interesting series of photographs tell me about how you know because it was unfolding how did you i mean weren't you like transfixed watching what's going on and you obviously had to pull yourself back in and get your behind the lens and start shooting and documenting tell me about that day well, you know, you just described it as unfolding, and that's that's how it was. It, it was a, a continuous um, bad dream to me that just got worse and worse 
Um, I mean, that was my my personal experience with that day. Um, you know, walking to that classroom, uh, and this is after the famous you know, whisper in the ear from right. Chief of Staff Andy Card, and the president, you know, left the classroom, and I and I I didn't know, you know, I, I knew of the powers getting hit before that moment, uh, not knowing that it was an attack, because um, uh, that's when the, the president first heard. But then. Uh, walking behind the scenes into the hold room uh, and, and seeing that image of the burning towers in this, in this, like everyone else, it's like the, your first question is, you know, is why? And, and so, you know, I really had to pull myself away uh, emotionally from that from yeah. that image uh, and, and focus on the president. And and I did, you know, I, I, I did my job, and I think everyone that day it was crystal clear. What they had to do is, is you know, you know, in the White House, you work with the best and the brightest, and everyone was was clearly focused on their jobs, on their specialties, including the president. He was there to make decisions. He, you know, the first thing he did was he picked up a notepad in the corner of the room, and there's an image in the book that shows him writing on that notepad, and he's literally organizing his thoughts for his first statement to the nation and to the world. And uh, it was interesting that. That piece of paper uh, uh, in that photograph that he's writing on is on display in the presidential library in oh, Dallas, wow. and and you can see those some of those very first thoughts that he had. Um, and he was so focused on those words that he never stopped to study what was happening on TV, like everyone else in the room. Um, he was so focused on his his um, his message, and, uh, and it wasn't until just a few minutes later, and there's, there's another picture in the book, um, very dramatic image of Dan Bartlett, who was the communications director, pointing to the TV. And everyone in the room stops and looks at the TV, and they're replaying. Because no one had, no one in the room had seen this image of the second plane hitting the second tower uh, until that moment. And they're replaying that, that, that video, and that's when the president finally turned to see that image that's burned into, burned into everyone's memory. Yeah, it's a- Great photograph. Yeah, and I also thought it was an interesting photograph too. And it was, um, it's later in the evening, I guess, back at the. Well, there's a couple great ones, you know, on the Air Force One, but the one I really like is the one um, later in the evening. And a lot of people are out of focus, including the president, but you were um, Mrs. Bush is at the table, kind of sitting there, and she's clear in focus. And, you know, it's right before maybe the address to the, I think it was right before the address to the nation. You know which mm-hmm. photograph I'm talking about, right? Right. Yeah. This was the moment um, after the, you know, the long day of flying around the country. Um, you know, we were finally returned to the White House late, late afternoon and early evening. Uh, the president uh, entered the PIOC, the, the Presidential Operations Center, the, the bunker under the White House, and that's where the vice president spent the entire day, and also Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Bush, and it was the first time they had seen each other. And so I, I tried to uh, focus on Mrs. Bush for a few minutes since we hadn't seen her. And she's sitting there listening as the president is talking with uh, the vice president and um, and the national security advisor, Connelly Rice. And a uh, very, you know, very intense moment. Uh, just, just basically the whole team was regrouping. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was very, uh, very long day. Great photographs. I mean, and... Um 
you know, and you talk about intensity and the intensity of that day. And oh, before I move on to that, the Air Force One, tell me about what it was like on there. That had to be very chaotic and confusing. You got some great picks in there as well. Well, um, you know, we spent, you know, most of our time that day aboard Air Force One. Um, you know, the, the first place that we flew to was uh, Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. And uh, the second stop was uh, off at Air Force Base in Nebraska. Uh, and aboard the plane, uh, the staff, I mean, they were still, you know, very focused on their jobs. Uh, a lot of the staff, we really didn't know where we were headed until we were about to land. Uh, but, uh, but at the same time, we tried to gather information from the TV, which um, this was before Air Force One was outfitted with um, satellite TV. So we had to fly over a major city in order to receive reception. But that was really uh, made the day even more surreal because it just we would see the snippets of the news fade in and fade out. Uh, and as we approached Washington on the last leg, uh, uh, we finally discovered the, the fighter jets escorting us uh, to Washington. And they, they had been with us all day, but they, we, we hadn't seen them until we were about to land in Washington. And they were almost literally touching the wings of Air Force One. And there's an image of the president and the staff in the aisle looking uh, out the windows to see those jets. And it was just... Uh, a very shocking scene of uh, the airplanes uh, out of the left side of the plane, and then out of the right side of the plane, you can still see the plume of smoke rising from the Pentagon. Wow. That's just amazing to me. You know, it's surprising to me, too, that, you know, given all the intensity of that day and, and, the, and the historical images that you captured, to you, one of the most intense was actually when uh, Bush committed the troops to Iraq. And there's some great couple of images there too. Is right after he made the decision. Talk about that day and some of, and those images. Well, um, this was March 19th, 2003, um, and of course, you know, the Iraq had been in the news, uh, all of the resolutions, uh, and so it was always this was always on my radar of the possibility. Uh, and the president had a meeting in the Situation Room in the basement of the West Wing with his national security team. Um, Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld was there. The vice president was there. Uh, General Colin Powell was there. Um, and uh, I remember uh, covering the when that meeting broke up, and I'm standing outside the door of the Situation Room and waiting to, to jump in and, and cover the aftermath. And, you know, this is just routine for me to do to cover those meetings. Well, the door swings open, and President Bush bolts out of the room, uh, and I'm the only one in front of the door, so I had to literally jump out of the way before he would we would collide, and and I didn't even get a chance to take a picture, and uh, and I and I saw his face, like literally inches from mine, and and I can see the emotion in his eyes, and nearly nearly tears, and I thought to myself, okay, something's happening, so I decided to uh, follow him, and he walked through up the stairs, through the Oval Office, and walked out to the South Lawn. And I thought, well, let me back off for a moment. And I waited for him, and he walked the entire length of the South Lawn, the circle, and um, he approached me, and I shot that image, in the, which is in the book, mm -hmm. and you can see that the weight of that decision, because I didn't know at that moment what had happened. 
but it wasn't until after I made that picture and he spoke to me just this seconds after I made that picture and he said, Eric, are you interested in history? And all I can say was, yes, sir. And he said, these pictures you're taking are very important. The one in the situation room and the one here on the South Lawn. And just as he said that, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed Vice President Cheney and Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld walking out of the Oval Office walkway. And the president walked over to to greet them. And uh, they were talking, and they are literally discussing the start of the war, of the uh, the first military operations in the Iraq War. Uh, and later that evening was when the announcement was made that uh, we were going to war. So it was very, that was probably the most intense day other than 9-11, which was off the charts. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of heavy stuff. But you also got some you know, great light moments in the interior. Tell me about some of your, your, your best and most memorable moments, the, the ones that, that you find the greatest joy out of. Well, um, just simple moments. This, to, to me, there there are a lot of quiet human moments uh, that are that are in the book. For example, there's a picture of um, the president, and Mrs. Bush, inside Buckingham Palace, and they're sitting on this very large couch. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, very humorous, and um, uh, and they're like kids. I mean, it really kind of shows their their uh, their sense of humor and and uh, they like to have fun together, and, and that's one of my my most uh, favorite images, fun images in the book. There's a picture of the president um, in the Oval Office wearing a boxing robe, and um, one morning, very early, the, the president always started his days very early, like 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he was in the Oval Office, and that was almost the only other staffer around, and so this box arrived sitting on the Oval Office desk, and he opens it, and he pulls out this, this full-size silk boxing robe. And on the back, it said George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, of course, he, he, he tries it on. And, uh, and I made this picture of him opening the, uh, the, uh, the, the door to the, to the hallway. Uh, and he's peering around um, to see if anyone's out there that he, he can show it, it off. It it very, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, uh, very humorous moment. Some of my favorite pictures. And, and of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, I, I was going to say that the, the – oh, sorry. I was going to say that the President Bush just loved uh, to have fun. Yeah, I love uh, I love the pictures. My favorite ones are the ones with him and his dad. I, you know, I, I got great reverence for his dad and and for the Bush family in general, but uh, I love the pictures of his dad. I love the picture of where um, uh, 43 – George W. Bush is sitting in the um, chair of the Oval Office for the first time, and his dad standing off to his right. I think that's a great picture. Yeah, that was um, January twentieth, two thousand one, and those you know, the president had just walked through the Oval Office doors for the very first time, and behind him, his father followed and walked through the Oval Office door uh, with him, and it was a very—I mean, it was such a magical moment, you know, to have, you know, the father and the son, two presidents together, you know, the the son for the first time sitting at the Oval Office desk, Uh, and and President George W. Bush is is only the second son of a president to become president, and the Mm -hmm. first being uh, John Q. Adams, and at that moment, um, they're actually laughing, enjoying that, that, you know, proud father-son moment, 
but you, what you don't notice is there's a this this cord coming from the chair, and uh, for some reason there was actually a massage chair left there. Oh, really? <laughs> it off his bed. <laughs> and you, you you'll notice in the picture that he's turning it on, and that's adding to the uh, the laughter. And that chair was gone the next day. That's funny. So, you know, that's hilarious. Well, it seems like I, I, the the guy I work for, um, he's had some dealings with the Bush family, and he he told me he said, you know, he goes, I don't care what anybody says, he goes, you won't find a much a more decent family than the Bush family. Did you in, from the sense from the pictures of the Camp David pictures of all the family together? Um, there seems to be a very strong sense of of family with them. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you saw behind the scenes. Oh, it, it was a very strong family bond. Um, you can tell that uh, getting together for holidays is very important to them. Uh, every Christmas for eight years was spent at Camp David for the family, and, and I had the privilege of, of uh, spending time with them every Christmas, every holiday, every every Thanksgiving, I and mean, Easter. They were together either at Camp David or at the ranch. Uh, and at the same time, they were such a normal family. I mean, just just doing normal normal things, um, and so that's that's what really amazed me. Um, and it was fun to hang out with them. It was fun to photograph them. And what I tried to do, uh, because usually I was the only staffer there in these situations, and and I realized just how little time they had together. So I. I tried to take a few pictures and then get out. Just get out, give them yeah. privacy, give them space, knowing that they really don't have that much time together, and, and uh, let them enjoy their precious moments. How did your you know, eight years? How did your family life? Um, how did you deal with that? That had to be very rough with you and your and in, in your personal time with your wife. Well, yes, and um, by the way, my wife worked at the White House, which helped a lot. Oh, great! Uh, yeah. She was there for three to four years. Um, she's a writer, uh, and so we would. Uh, she worked right across the street. I was in the West Wing. She was in the old executive office building. Uh, so that helped a lot. And then the president, Mrs. Bush, would always invite her to uh, the ranch, for example, on holidays to Camp David to keep uh, to keep my family together. Oh, that's great. And so I thought that was very very nice of them to do that, and that, that really helped through the years. Well, that's great. You know, I always wondered, you know, sometimes in, in you, if you've never been in the White House or kind of behind the scenes or you have these images of, of of the presidency, of the White House, of the government in general, you know, it's kind of like when you find out that, you know, you see your father or some other great person you look up to and you're like – and then you see them in a kind of an infallible moment. Any any kind of disappointments, not necessarily in Bush, but just like uh, that you thought – Wow, this isn't so great, or the White House, or things you didn't know, or surprises about the White House or the presidency that kind of disappointed you. Um, I would, I can't say anything disappointed me. Um, I think I think it's just uh, an eye-opening experience to see uh, just how the, the operation of the White House, to yeah. see how how large of a of a team that it takes. To, to do the job of the presidency, uh, uh, and 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 you can compare uh, the U.S. president to all of the other world leaders and see that no, like no one does it like the United States. I mean, in terms of 
staff, in terms of assets, in, in terms of support and security. I mean, we we are the best. Right. <laughs> and uh, and you really realize that uh, when you see, uh, when you travel abroad, when world leaders visit, and um, uh, and that, it was truly an eye-opening experience. I had no idea until I, I was inside. Oh, but nothing really dis- disappointed me, I don't think. What about in? What about in? Uh, well, you kind of I heard a little bit of it. I would imagine. Did you leave uh, any more inspired? Some, uh, surprising? Were you, were you were you more proud of your country after that experience? Oh yes, very proud. Um, uh, and I think what people don't realize um, when you travel abroad is is the respect and um, how everyone looks looks up to the United States. Everyone looks up to the U.S. president uh, abroad, and uh, it, it does make me very proud to be here, to be an American, um, and, uh, and and proud to work with, like I said before, the, the best and the brightest inside the White House. It, it truly was uh, a joy to have, and I still have a lot of friends that I worked with uh, through the years, and uh, I think that's, that's the part I'll miss the most. A lot of people will ask me, do I miss the job? And I say, not really, but I really miss the people. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, the book is Front Row Seat. It's a great book. It's a great uh, photographic portrait of the president of George W. Bush. I don't care where you stand in the political spectrum. It's a great book. It's a great insight. I learned a lot. And again, I'm a political junkie. I'm a historical junkie. Um, I think you, you should be very proud of what, what you've accomplished, Eric. It was, it was great stuff. Thank you, Richard. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I mean, yeah, gosh, I, I could talk to you for hours and, and pick your brain about what happened, but uh, uh, thanks for coming on the show. And um, and um, I'd like to talk to you again some other time. Great, Richard. It was really, uh, really a pleasure to talk to you and share my stories. All right, Eric. Take care. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.